Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Sarah Whitmire, the News Bureau Chief of WFIU and WTIU. And this week, we're going to look at gaming and gambling in Indiana. It's set to be an important topic in the 2019 legislative session. There are actually four proposals pertaining to the regulation of gaming and gambling in Indiana that are, are uh, on the on the books here for the, this session, sports wagering is one of the topics that's going to be big, and there's some discussion about casinos, possibly one going to Terre Haute, uh, and also a, a casino in uh, Gary that's looking to move operations. So you can join us today by calling uh, 812-855-0811, or you can call 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. And if you reach out to us in any of those ways, you'll be talking to Sarah and I as well as our three guests. We have Matt Bell, president and CEO of the Casino Association of Indiana. Alan Morrison, state representative for District 42. He's from Brazil, represents Terre Haute. And Ed Feigenbaum is joining us by phone. Ed is State House Dispatch columnist with the Indiana Business Journal and publisher of Indiana Gaming Insight. So welcome to the program, everybody. And uh, you know, this is uh, gaming comes and goes in the legislature, it seems like. Every year there's maybe a little something. So I want to talk to Alan Morrison first yeah. about your bill and, and uh, you know why, why you think it's necessary. Hey, well, thanks for having me, Bob and Sarah. Good to be here. Matt, good to see you as always. You as well, sir. And hi, Ed, on the phone there. Um, yeah, so the Supreme Court had that pretty pretty land-shaking uh, decision back in the last summer to uh, uh, kind of overrule PASPA and came down to a Tenth Amendment issue, uh, states' rights. And, and uh, what they basically said was that they're going to leave it up to the, each individual state to determine whether or not um, they offer sports wagering as, as part of their, their gambling and, and entertainment package. And so... Uh, Slowly but surely, state by state, uh, you started seeing uh, legislatures starting to take a look at this, and and uh, now we have uh, I think seven is the number, seven states that are six mm -hmm. that are offering uh, sports wagering. Uh, hopefully, we're number seven. Seven, including Nevada, six since passed. But my okay. apologies. Okay, so seven total, and um, <clears throat> yeah, we uh, what what we're doing basically is trying to set up a uh, a structure that um, um, is fair and and. Uh, um, uh, for all Hoosiers, and and uh, it is uh, a positive for our gaming industry. Game, we're a gaming state, and uh, it's a big part of the the revenue that comes into uh, the coffers for our biannual budget on a an, on an annual basis. And um, we need to continue to stay pretty fluid with uh, with our gaming um, our gaming uh, laws and and uh, the opportunities that that our our industry has to uh, continue to be successful. So I think sports wagering is will be a part of that. Uh, when you look, start to look at the financials of it, and not to dig too deep right away, but uh, this is not a, a financial boom for the for the state uh, necessarily. It, there there certainly is a, uh, will be millions of dollars that come back in in tax revenue, but it's not going to um, fix all the roads and put a new roof on every school. Uh, but what it will do is, is it will really open up uh, the gaming industry probably to a, to a, another um, uh, group of, of Hoosiers that have maybe never been to a casino, uh, have never partaken in in, uh, in the gaming industry in the state, and and it'll be a great marketing opportunity for that industry. So I think it, there's a there's a lot of positives that will come out of it, and so we're going to continue to work hard to make it happen. We'll get into some of the details of your bill here in, in a few minutes, but I wanted to ask ask Matt, I mean, how, how important is this, do you think, in this, this session? 
So I think this is an issue that piques a lot of interest publicly. Uh, it's important to recognize that, that from a casino gaming industry standpoint, um, this is an amenity that we are eager to offer to our patrons. The American Gaming Association estimates that there is approximately, or at least, excuse me, at least $150 billion wagered annually through illegal markets and offshore markets. So the opportunity to um, capture that uh, illegal market, to bring it into the light, create transparency, presents an opportunity for our properties. It is important to, to share, as, as Representative Morrison um, alluded to, that in our case, this is a, a high-volume, low-margin activity. When we look historically at, at Nevada and, and what the win has been, how, how much of bets placed our casino properties take, really it's only about 3 to 5% of total bets made. And when we look at Nevada properties, it accounts for 2% of total revenue. So the revenue, the revenue bump, is, as Representative Morrison shared for the state, isn't massive, but it is an important way for us to attract customers who may not have been in our properties to our f wonderful facilities in Indiana. Um, it gives them an opportunity to go and enjoy a game, see the other amenities that are there, might encourage them to see a show at our facilities, try our restaurants and perhaps try a gaming floor that they otherwise might not have come in to try. So it's important to us. Uh, we want to do it well. We think Representative Morrison uh, has given us a great framework to work with in Indiana, so we're eager to see its its passage this year. So Ed Feigenbaum is joining us from Indianapolis. And Ed, Ed I will call you a longtime observer of the State House. You've been uh, watching what's going on in Indianapolis for quite a long time. Uh, you know, what kind of uh, what kind of odds would you put on gaming getting through or or one of these bills passing this year? Well, there's always some kind of a gaming issue on tap at the, the state house. But this year, we, we've got kind of a fire hose uh, worth of issues here, and, and obviously, all kind of generated at first by the, the sports wagering issue, which which kind of opens up the uh, the floor for debate. And any time that you can get a bill on the floor, which which seems to have a lot of popular support, you you always find people who want to uh, attach their own uh, interests to it, and you see log rolling, and things become, as, as Representative Morrison and Matt Bell will tell you, Christmas trees, and you, know, you have to kind of uh, step back and say, well, wait a minute, what are we not going to allow on this? So we're going to see a whole bunch of different issues that, that will end up being attached to it. Um, there are several different bills that are proceeding right now um, that have been introduced. Representative Morrison has the, the big sports wagering bill. There's a, a parallel bill, a companion bill in the Senate. There are also a, a couple of um, what we might call omnibus bills, particularly one in the Senate, which, which really has the, the kitchen sink in it. You know, just about everything for everybody. The license moves from Gary that, that you alluded to earlier, Bob, and, and the sports wagering, and there's some other things with, with taxes and all that in there. And, and that's a bill that everybody's really going to be looking to. And, and what I think that you need to watch for this year is to see to what extent there's an appetite for real change and real expansion. Uh, the governor is not standing in the way of, of expansion like Mike Pence had done back when he was governor. This governor wants to treat uh, the casinos and, and horse racing tracks and the other folks that are involved in, in gambling as, as a legitimate business and industry in the state. And he understands the importance of the casinos to the communities. But there are going to be some other things that will pop up that are going to be particularly controversial and may you know, serve to kind of derail us from the, the bigger picture thing of, of sports wagering, which may be very popular, like Representative Morrison's fantasy sports bill a few years ago. And I think you need to watch for the issue of, of live dealers at, the, at for table games at the Shelbyville and Anderson Racinos. You're going to need to watch to see what the Hoosier Lottery might want to do with, with respect to online gaming if, if we allow some type of, of mobile or online gaming for the casinos for sports wagering. And you also want to watch to see if the, the folks at the bars and taverns and truck stops and dry cleaners and whoever else around the state, the, the folks that Matt Bell talked about, you know, who, who may be doing some things um, – in the gray market, shall we say, with, with respect to gaming, if, if they're going to make a real big push for the same kind of video gambling terminals that we, we see proliferate. I think there are like 28,000 of them or so, Matt, 29,000 in Illinois now, legally. Yeah. And they've been, been working in the off-session here to, to try and persuade legislators to include this in the, the gaming package. 
And then there's there's a, a bill that's essentially coming from the governor's office, from the Indiana Gaming Commission, that will simplify and reform charity gaming in the states. There are a lot of, of different gaming issues that are going to come forth this year. I think Matt's got a, a, a measure that would change the tax structure for table games for the casinos and some of the other tax rates. It might make it a little bit more attractive for the casinos to invest in and non-gaming kinds of amenities. And there are a lot of different things that, that just seem to emerge once you have some type of home for a popular measure. How does Indiana's gaming business compare to just other states in the Midwest? I mean, leaving out the outliers like Vegas. We're just looking here. Um, Matt, maybe? So when we look at our industry, uh, we, we really see our peak around 2009 in Indiana. And uh, since that point, overall state tax revenues from gaming have declined about 31%. When casino gaming was passed in Indiana in 1993, we were really an island in the Midwest um, and, and had a virtual monopoly in the Midwest. Over time, we've seen that eroded with the inception of casino gaming in Ohio. And when Ohio enacted that constitutionally, they set a lower constitutional tax rate than we have in Indiana, which created a competitive disadvantage for some properties here. We've seen a growth in tribal gaming in Michigan. Uh, as, as Ed mentioned, the uh, VGT industry has exploded in Illinois, which has eroded uh, business from Illinois casinos, but it's also impacted some on our northern and, and western borders. And Kentucky continues to, to modernize with uh, historic racing games. So we've seen a lot of, um, of uh, proliferation of gaming in the Midwest around us. Uh, yet we have great operators in Indiana, and they have withstood both uh, the downturn in the economy and increased competition to put forward a world-class environment and a world-class environment for players that's very inviting. The industry is not the revenue generator that it was at its peak. At its peak, we were we generated the third most taxes of any state in the in the U.S. from gaming, and we've fallen from that sum. Still a critical part of both state and local revenue streams, and a critical employer of Hoosiers as well, with more than 14,000 folks employed in the gaming industry across our state. And if, if, if I'm not mistaken, Matt, and you could tell me here, but I, I believe so currently Pennsylvania is number one in revenues, uh, Nevada is number two, New Jersey three, and I, I think we're four. Um, and but there's a there's a obviously a decent difference between uh, four and three there, and, and New Jersey is going to continue to uh, um, I think increase their uh, revenues, and, and then you have a whole bunch of folks down a little ways below us. But so it is a big part of what we do. Um, so. It, what kind of what kind of revenue are we talking about? What kind what kind of money does come to the state through gaming? About six hundred million annually. So that's that's not small change. Oh right? no, <laughs> absolutely not. Right. And right. how's that money used? Does that just go to the general fund, or is that what's that? Um, do you do you know? <clears throat> for the for the most part, yes. Um, there there's obviously local revenue which stays locally, both through property taxes, through local development agreements. So there's money that stays local. State money um, funds uh, regulation. Um, uh, the industry self funds the Indiana Gaming Commission, um, and and then beyond that, revenues uh, provide opportunity for all the things that are important to legislators, like schools and roads and healthcare and all the things that Hoosiers depend on. Okay. Yeah. I, let me give our numbers again real quickly because some this is this is one of those interesting topics people might want to join us mm -hmm. so they might have questions and and issues they want to talk about eight one two eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of Bloomington and news at Indiana Public Media dot org sorry sir. no I was just going to say Alan and I, I may be incorrect but it seems like for a number of years Tara Hote has been taking a bill to the legislature to try to get one of these casinos. Is that right? This isn't the first. This, this has happened, right? Sure. And so, heck, even back when, when the, the casino um, uh, gaming conversation started in the state of Indiana, Terre Haute was, was one of those those uh, uh, communities that, that wanted one while it was kind of split. Some wanted and some didn't, and we didn't end up with one. Um, I had a I had an amendment probably about five years ago that would have given the ability for a uh, a casino to move the move a license and and um, I was asked not to hold it to a vote <laughs> um, and uh, then here recently uh, Senator Ford had one two years ago Representative Heaton kind of just took that same bill and and ran with it last year and so now uh, there is language in Senator Messmer's bill that would do this same thing. Can you explain how this is different and how the 
I'm just trying to get my head around how the license and Gary then could go to Terre Haute, how this works? Well, so um, uh, the two licenses up in Gary have been purchased by a group called Spectacle. And um, they have uh, um, they have come to the, to the legislature and, and asked if, if they could do a couple things. And one of them is they want to move those two licenses. It's basically, it's two licenses under one roof currently. They're up on the harbor up there in Gary. And they want to move off the harbor. And uh, the way I understand it, um, uh, the uh, the the delegation from Gary and and people in that community support that because they want to be able to use that harbor for other purposes. Um, and what they would like to do then, Spectacle, is move one license to 8094, um, and so move move a facility out onto the highway. Um, and then the language in Senator Messmer's bill has the other has the other uh, license moving down to Terre Haute. So in Vigo County and so that's that's kind of the the broad view of what they'd like what we'd like to see happen we have so we Sarah and I both have uh, uh, a list of these gaming bills in front of us and Senator Messmer's bill is oh probably five times as long as every other bill (laughs) on here so I I guess I wanted to ask you uh, Representative Morrison about you know, going in with sort of a, a specific bill versus an omnibus bill like this. I mean, what's the, what's the rationale behind doing one kind of bill or another? Well, uh, with with Senator Messmer's bill, when you get as uh, Ed talked about the Christmas tree bill, um, there's something everybody can like in it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what's that mean? That there's also plenty that that you can dislike <laughs> about it too. So, uh, it it. He certainly has started off with a lot, and something that's important to remember, and, and uh, Matt knows this well, that the way a bill looks today is not how it will look Correct. Um, come April 26th. And so there are so many changes that will happen to all the bills that you're looking at right now. Um, we will have ups and downs, and, and uh, um, there might be some things that uh, um, people are surprised about, but at the end of the day, after it's vetted through the very extensive process we have, it'll... We hopefully we get to a point where everybody there's enough that they that you know they can like to vote yes. The, the one thing that really stood out to me and Bob probably you too is the three million dollars that would go mm. annually to the West Baden. That just sort of seemed to come out of nowhere when you're reading this whole thing. I'll let Matt talk about that. Well, um, you know, as you mentioned, there have been some efforts over the past few years to allow, um, if not a license, what um, what what folks are referred to as excess capacity to move to Terre Haute from particularly the uh, um, casino in Rising Sun, Indiana, the, the, the Full House Resort Casino there. Um, and as that legislation uh, went to committee last year, and there was concern from both the operators in, in French Lick at West Baden and, and also concern from the um, operators at the Tropicana property, now the El Dorado property in Evansville. That a, that a casino in Terre Haute erodes those markets. And so operators are saying, we've made significant investments here. We're concerned that if there's a casino in Terre Haute, you know, there'll be a loss of market share to that. And, and from a state that, that claims to be business friendly, how do, we, how do we justify that? So last year, uh, Senator John Ford and his bill authored language that would make an annual payment from the operator of a Terre Haute facility to the West Baden facility of, I think his might have been $3.5 million last year. It may have ended up at $3 million at the end of the day, but at one point, $3.5 million was thrown around and did so to um, mitigate the opposition from the French Lake operators for the, for the effort. Uh, Senator Mesmer has chosen to keep that provision in his bill um, uh, with an effort, I think, to assuage concerns from those operators that they'll see their market eroded. Mm-hmm. I think Matt's using a little bit too much politics on this one. Um, <laughs> well, let me be a little bit more blunt, if, if I can. French Lick has always enjoyed kind of a, a favored nation status with the state legislature. Um, anytime you start doing anything with respect to the French Lick casino, since we authorized that back in, oh, what, 2004, 2005 to open in 2006, you will have literally every legislator in, in the, the chambers from north of U.S. 30 to the Ohio River stand up and, and talk about what a wonderful treasure French Lick is for the state and how we need to preserve everything that we have down there. And you will be reminded that the French Lick Casino um, is the only casino in the state 
other than the Pokagon Casino, the Native American Casino, that's not a traditional kind of commercial casino where the the profits might go back to an owner, for example, out of state in Las Vegas, or uh, you know somewhere outside of Indiana. In fact, the the profits from that casino generally stay with the community and are distributed um, through a, a specific formula. And a lot of that money goes to the schools. Um, for example, the the residents in Orange County have have not had to to uh, pay for school textbooks for their children for, um, well, more than a, a decade and a half now. Twelve years, now. right, hmm. 13 uh, years. So it goes, goes to good good uses, and, and everybody stands up and points that out. And when the racinos were authorized um, a year after the French Lick Casino opened, when they were authorized back in 2007, they, they had to pay a, a toll of sorts, a subsidy to the French Lick property as well. And there is precedent for this, and, and obviously... You know, you, you have the casinos standing up right now and saying, hey, we support a, a free market, and you ought to let us do our business in a free market, except when it impinges upon them. And then you start to see that, uh, you know, they get a little bit defensive and, and talk about you know, the, the tremendous capital investment that they have each individually made and the fact that they've done this under current rules, and they don't want to see the rules changed, and they don't want to see, for example, a, a casino in Gary benefit from not having put in the same kind of, of capex over the, the the years, or at least recently, that other casinos might have done. You know, whether it's it's the uh, 85 million or so that that was put in the land-based facility in Evansville over the last what 18 months or so, or the, the 100 million in, in moving some things onto land in East Chicago. Um, they see that uh, there's nothing done necessarily in, in Gary, and they don't want uh, their competitor profiting from that. So we're going to have to take a short break. But just a short aside, when the current owner got the casino in French Lake, one of the other bidders was Donald Trump. You probably mm-hmm. all remember that. So, Indeed. Yes. Huh. Times have uh, moved on from there. <laughs> all right. If you want to join the program uh, after our short break, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. News at indianapublicmedia.org is how to reach us online. You're listening to Noon Edition. From the Milton Met Studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, online at smithville.com. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. And we have three guests with us today as we talk about gaming and uh, gambling. And we'll, I want the, those words defined here in a minute. We have guests in the studio, Matt Bell, President and CEO of the Casino Association of Indiana, and Alan Morrison, State Representative for District 42, which includes Terre Haute. Uh, and Ed Feigenbaum is joining us by phone. He's from uh, the Statehouse Dispatch columnist with the Indiana Business Journal and also publisher of Indiana Gaming Insight. If you want to join us, 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area, news at indianapublicmedia.org online. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So gaming and gambling, can they be used interchangeably? I think so. I mean, when we, when, we think about, when we think about a definition of gaming, we think about games of chance as opposed to games of skill. And, and so that's sort of the definition that we operate with in Indiana. Okay. So what's a game of skill, like poker? Well, that's a, now you've opened up another can of worms. <laughs> daily uh, fantasy sports. Daily fantasy okay, sports was gotcha. defined as a game of skill, not yep. a game of chance. Yep. And that's why it falls outside of our state's gambling laws. I see. 
Okay. I don't even know what that is. Daily fantasy sports. Yeah, it, it, it could be an obsession. I'll tell you. Oh dear. Fantasy football. Draft those kind of Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what that's what falls yeah. out of that. Sarah's too concerned with playing Fortnite, right? <laughs> oh, I just learned what that she, is. She was so. flossing the during the break. Yeah. Right. Don't know what that is, but um, <laughs> <laughs> why why is this so important to Terre Haute? How would this change Terre Haute? How would it benefit Terre Haute? <clears throat> Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, obviously, I. If, the uh, the economic impact would be very significant. Uh, there's a, a capital investment into the city and into the county. There are uh, full-time jobs. Uh, there's tourism. Uh, Terre Haute, it, we uh, we spend a lot of time and a lot of effort on on the tourism into this that part of the state, and and uh, we have a lot of a lot of reasons why people come visit us in Vigo County, uh, and this could certainly be another piece to that puzzle. So. We, uh, I, I think that it would. It's also very well. It's regionally located well. When you look at the state of Indiana, we we really kind of do have all most of our borders kind of covered, so to speak, and and uh, the they're located fairly well. But the one place it's it's a glaring uh, void would be on that west central and west side of the state. Sir, Representative Morrison touched on a really really important part of the conversation about gaming in Indiana, and that is uh, borders. When the decision was made to allow uh, riverboat gaming at the time in Indiana, the policy decision was made that we would put facilities in the state of Indiana on the borders with the goal of attracting the out-of-state gambler, that we wanted to kind of mitigate the opportunity for the Hoosier resident to become a problem gamer by putting those on borders and and allowing a lot of revenue to come into Indiana from from out-of-state. I think what, what Senator Mesmer's bill recognizes, what Representative Morrison and, and his colleagues from, from uh, West Central Indiana have said is that, you know, in an environment that's changed, is, is that still appropriate? Do we want to continue to locate properties on the borders or as a, as a matter of state policy, uh, is our goal to, to look at increasing revenue? And if so, should we be looking at population centers or underserved markets? From an industry standpoint, um, we we really appreciate the conversation about modernizing our industry and making sure that the regulatory environment and policy environment that we work under is reflective of 2018 and 19 realities, not 1993 realities. But it gives us pause to say we're going to dramatically change uh, the structure of, of where we'll allow facilities to be in Indiana because of the capital investments that have been made. You look in Hammond, Indiana, where more than half a billion dollars has been invested over time in a world-class facility there, or I think by square feet, largest in the state of Indiana. The idea that we're going to change the, the machinations by, by where and, and by which properties can locate in Indiana and now threaten that investment makes them nervous about future investment in that property. So as we go through this process over the, over the course of the next few months, I think you'll see um, a struggle to find that balance between um, recognizing that market stability has been an important part of the growth of this industry in the state of Indiana and the need to modernize and function well in the 21st century as well. And it's in that balance um, that, that policymakers will be asked to step in and, and, and weigh in and make some decisions going forward. Alan, I know we did an end-of-the-year program, and Max Jones, the editor from Terre Haute, was in here, and he talked about a new hotel project in downtown. Or would these things be together, or are these totally separate? Well, there's a, yeah, <clears throat> a convention center that will be breaking ground here uh, shortly. We will have the, uh, the Larry Bird Museum will be a part of that. Uh, along with that, there will be another hotel downtown. Uh, that's separate from this. I imagine that that uh, if we were to have a uh, casino that moved to Terre Haute, that they would obviously uh, build their own facilities and and most likely have meeting space as well. But we're not going to turn down more meeting space for more people uh, spending nights in our hotels and coming and visiting us. So, Ed, well, let me add one thing yeah, to that ahead. discussion. Um, you know, Alan's right; it would not be part of the of a downtown complex, and then it wouldn't be. You know, a riverboat on the non-navigable uh, Wabash River either <laughs> Air, would be located on on an exit on I-70, and the imperative there is that you know it's it's almost a preemptive strike against Illinois. Illinois has been threatening for years to open a casino on Indiana's westernmost border in Danville, Illinois, on I-74, and if Terre Haute were to be able to do this quicker, um, that would essentially um, mark out the market for eastern Illinois and give Indiana the advantage and, and essentially prevent Illinois from, from trying to get into the Indiana market. And that's important because, you know, both of the, uh, 
the locations, Danville, Illinois, and Terre Haute, are you know, about equidistant from Indianapolis, and it would make it a whole lot easier for people from Indianapolis to uh, to go to Terre Haute than to uh, go across the border to Illinois and gam- gamble in Danville and, and contribute tax dollars to the state of Illinois. But Ed raises another important concern for our industry, and that is that conversation in Illinois is certainly not limited to Danville. Um, the, the real threat to the Indiana casino gaming industry is that an Illinois gaming package would include Chicago. And the proposals currently would include um, potentially multiple casinos in the Chicago market, even on the south side. Those would decimate our northern Indiana tiers. So while we can say that, hey, Terre Haute is great protection against an, an Illinois gaming bill, the, the real threat from the Illinois gaming bill from a statewide perspective is the Chicago market and the presence of casinos there over the long term. Mm-hmm. And that would have a devastating impact on properties in northern Indiana. So that's it. We're just talking all over each other today. Uh, at, in the eastern part of the state, how much has have those casinos been affected by, I know there's a big one in Cincinnati now. Dramatically. Yeah. So when we look at the uh, Hollywood property in Lawrenceburg, at one point it was the busiest riverboat property in America. I think as Ohio opened, as I mentioned, with constitutionally established lower tax rates than we have in Indiana, uh, overall revenues dipped, and, and Ed, you can correct me because you'll know the figure to the penny, but close to 40% from peak at that facility. Yeah. They, have respo- they have revived since then, and so we're still not 40% down, but they will never approach uh, the levels they were pre-Ohio. I think now you're probably 28 27% off of peak, somewhere in that, in that range. Um, so it's been a devastating impact on on that property, which continues to be a beautiful facility. Uh, They've done some nice things to integrate some land-based gaming at that facility as allowed under a bill a couple of years ago, but the competition has had a dramatic impact. Yeah, and it's insidious, too, because it's it's not just the downtown Cincinnati land-based casino. There's a racino that that doesn't even offer table games just outside of Cincinnati in in Lebanon, Ohio, Mm -hmm. Miami Valley Gaming, that is now actually the second um, most lucrative, the second largest gaming property in the region. It's even above uh, what Hollywood has been bringing in. So there's a lot more competition out there. It's not just from land-based casinos. It's also from the Ohio racinos. I think Matt mentioned earlier that, that Kentucky is, is getting into the historical horse racing uh, business, which are essentially slot machines exactly. that are based on uh, races that have already been run. And Churchill Downs, you know, one of the, the big names in the industry, opened up a, a pretty large downtown, well, not between downtown Louisville and Churchill Downs track itself, um, facility for these historical horse racing machines that has immediately cut into the, the business of Horseshoe Casino of Southern Indiana in Harrison County by a significant amount since it opened in, in mid-September. And they opened that basically not even thinking that they were going to get a lot of money from the, the machines that they've got there, but because they wanted to have a facility ready to go to accommodate sports wagering. So sports wagering, that brings me back to, to Alan's bill. Can you sort of describe for you know those of us that don't go to a lot of casinos <clears throat> what sports wagering would bring to the casinos? What, what would it be like? Sure. Um, well, if uh, you can imagine in your family room, you know, have you you have one TV there and you sit on the couch and it's pretty nice and comfortable. Well, I'll just we'll go ahead and we'll put twenty TVs up on 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 the wall there with seating for um, lounge lounge seating and and uh, places to eat and and basically uh, um, it's it's a place where uh, people are invited in and, and can uh, um, walk up to to a to a, uh, a teller and and place a place a bet on a wager on a on a, on a sport uh, on a game that will be coming up and and uh, there's a lot of different bets that can be made. Um, there's games that can and there's bets that can be made obviously prior to and then during the game and and uh, so uh, um, it's uh, it's certainly it's it's interesting if you take a look at our OTBs if you've ever been in one of those it'd be very off-track betting facilities. off-track betting facility yep sorry. Um, we get so used to acronyms and everything up there. <laughs> I just, um, so uh, if you've ever been into one of those uh, facilities or, or just one of our uh, racinos, 
Um, it looked very similar to that. Okay. So I think the uh, the um, the difference between the living room too is just sort of the the air of excitement that's yeah. generated because you have you're together with a group of people who are watching the game and and now have a financial stake on the outcome of the game and um, uh, you know it, it tends to draw a younger consumer to casino properties than some of our traditional floor games do. Uh, so so I think Alan physically described it well, but I think part of the excitement is being around people who are um, very vested in the outcome of a game, even more so than being a, uh, an Indiana University or, or oh, yeah. Purdue, you know, faithful fan. Uh, these are folks with something on the line in the game. And, you know, when you, when you look at Nevada, uh, some of the busiest weekends of the year, that first weekend of the NCAA tournament where folks can watch game after game and, and the, the, uh, the, the environment is palpably exciting for folks. And, and Matt just raised a, a huge point for the, the casino industry in general, and that's the the demographic issue. Um, you know, we're not seeing the the kinds of, of people who are graduating from IU going out and, and playing the slot machines down at uh, French Lick or in Lawrenceburg. You know, they they really prefer a much more social gaming environment or much more social environment period, and want to be able to um, and be involved in some kind of participatory action. They, they grew up on these video games. They want more of a, an interactive experience. And the sports wagering gives them that, and that gives the, the casinos an entree into those customers and vice versa. But at the same time, the real money, is, as Matt and Alan will tell you, is, is going to be made by, these, uh, by the casinos in the, the mobile gaming apps that they will be able to employ, theoretically at least, under whatever legislation we pass, because that's where the, the real bulk of the gaming is going to take place. It's not going to take place you know, in the brick-and-mortar facilities. And I want to ask you, it seems like um, the sports wagering part of it is probably the priority for the legislature. Does that seem fair? No? No, uh, that's, that's okay, the excuse for getting into all of this, and that's, that's the raison d'etre on this. That that gets everything started. That gets the discussion going. Okay. okay. Yeah, there, there are so many, as you see with uh, or Senator Messmer's bill, there's there's a, always a lot of discussion uh, on the gaming industry. It's, it's, it's really no different than any under, other industry that we have where they're always trying to tweak and, and improve, and that's great. We have to do that as the legislature. It's incumbent upon us to do that. Mm -hmm. So. Um, that it will. Uh, th there's a lot of issues in there that that will um, uh, that that mean a lot to a lot of people. So, the sports wagering issue, it kind of, it's a sexy one. It's one that's been very very uh, national, and and a lot of folks have talked about it. Chris Christie uh, from New Jersey, you know, he's made a uh, a pretty uh, big splash about talking about it, and 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 so that's why that I think pulls a lot of the headlines, but there's some other very, very important issues as well. Is there an advantage, though, with sports wagering to be among the first states? I think you said, do you say seven? Seven total. Yeah. Six who've legalized since PASPO, the Professional Amateur Sports Participation Act, was uh, ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court on May 14th. So, yeah, is there an advantage to getting into this early before all oh. before other states get on board? Absolutely. If, if Especially those that, that border us that, that offer gaming, if, I would I would certainly like like to be able to Offer that before they do, and get get our, uh, our our facilities established and 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 really under underway before Ohio does or Michigan. So, so an important yep. important point there is that um, under PASPA, um, we're only allowed to accept wagers from folks physically in the state in Indiana if, in fact, the legislature authorizes legal sports wagering. The uh, the Wire Act, which is a, a piece of legislation, a federal piece of legislation, has been around <clears throat> since the '60s prevents wagering across state lines. Um, so it is important, uh, particularly with the presence of our border community, so we begin to create patterns for folks so that so that if they want to go to a sports book, they go to their closest one of record. And I think uh, that's why Representative Morrison, who's really been working on this issue for five years yeah. now, um, has been very uh, forward-thinking in the way he's approached it. We believe that ultimately as many as 32 states will authorize legal sports wagering um, probably over the next five to seven years. Um, we want Indiana to be in that first bucket of states. Is there an age limit? Yeah, 21. 21. Okay. Yep. Ed, you, you were starting to say something. Oh, no. I, I was, okay. was agreeing with everybody. And, you know, I mentioned that. Well, good for you, Ed. <laughs> would, would dearly love to, to have Kentucky authorize this before Indiana does because they'd be able to preempt 
what, uh, what would go on at Horseshoe Casino Southern Indiana. Horseshoe is owned by Caesars, which owns four of the Indiana properties and is the largest gaming operator essentially in the world. And to be able to preempt that would be quite a coup for, for the Commonwealth of Kentucky and would, would as, as you heard from Matt and, and Alan, you know, be able to, to get uh, people going in, in certain um, gaming patterns and social patterns and, right. and get them used to doing things in a certain way. And it would, would uh, inure to their benefit and would, would certainly hurt the state of Indiana. So, Ed, you might be the, the appropriate person to at least start this answer, but I'm going to take a step back because it hasn't been that long ago that Indiana passed a law that allowed lotteries and then eventually passed a law that allowed some casinos. And there were like, what, 10 casino licenses that were up for grabs and they had to be riverboat that's right. They had to be on, on the right. water somewhere. Right. So I guess I just want to talk with you all about the sort of the, the changing environment about gaming. Early on, there were all, was all this concern that, oh, if we lo- allow lottery, that's going to be the, the, the slippery slope. And then eventually there's going to be casinos and people are saying, no, 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 we're not going to go any further than lottery. Well, then came casinos. And now we're talking about, you know, sports book and. You know, is this just a change in our culture, a change in Indiana? What is it? Yeah, well, uh, a little bit of both and a lot of both. And, you know, this all started with the lottery amendment, which everybody, you know, called the lottery amendment to the Constitution, Mm -hmm. even though it it literally made things accessible to all kinds of gaming. And and nobody believed that Indiana would ever authorize casino gaming. But as soon as as the lottery amendment passed, um, legislators from Gary came to the legislature and said, hey, we want a single land-based casino in Gary. And in 1989, they were able to convince the legislature to allow a referendum for a land-based casino in Gary, passed with 64, 66% of the vote. And then they had problems kind of getting to that next step. But in 1993, in a confluence of circumstances we'll probably never see again in, in Indiana, um, the uh, casino, a riverboat casino authorization was, was wrapped into the budget and it passed over the, the governor's veto uh, with just a few hours left in, in the, uh, the month of June before Indiana would go without a budget. And we authorized the, the 10 riverboat casinos, five for the Ohio River and, and five for Lake Michigan. Communities passed referenda. So it only really went to communities which had, had wanted the facilities. And, yes, after that, we, we realized we uh, couldn't be just a little bit pregnant. And we moved to uh, dockside gaming from the, the requirements that the boats go out and cruise. And one thing that, that, that Matt told me a few years ago that, that really didn't hit home until more recently was that a lot of the change has been because legislators today weren't around back then, and these are people who have grown up in, in Indiana where uh, casino gaming and horse racing is, is a fact of life, and that the casinos have become good partners to the communities in which they're cited, and casinos have become literally just another industry in the state, just like the steel industry or you know the software um, industry, whatever. And you know, we've not seen the ill effects associated with, with gaming that, you know, were predicted back in, you know, the, the late 80s when everybody else started looking at this, you know, the, oh, they'll be mob controlled. No, they're all publicly held companies, mm-hmm. essentially. So we've, we've seen a, a willingness of legislators now who have grown up with this to treat this as any other industry in the state, including, you know, to a certain extent, offering incentives through tax rates in particular. And that's been one major reason for the cultural change. You know, Governor Pence was not happy with what he called expansion, but he still allowed things to go through, like a mobile gaming pilot program. And that kind of paved the way for some of the things that we're seeing today. And Governor Holcomb has has made it very clear that he believes that that the gaming industry, as long as it stays fairly strictly regulated and, and they abide by the rules, should be treated like any other business in the state. The only thing that I, I think Ed did a phenomenal job of describing the cultural changes he always does. Um, I, yeah, because I quoted you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's never bad public policy either, as long as you get it right. Um, I, I, I think the other the other part of that equation 
is that we have been fortunate in Indiana to have wonderful gaming operators as well. You know, I'd mentioned Caesars is here is one of the predominant gaming companies in the world. Uh, folks from Penn National Gaming, we, we have folks who have been good community citizens. Um, they, they, have, uh, they have helped to prevent some of the societal ills that, uh, that many predicted would follow casino gaming. Um, so, so I want to share some of that credit with the operators that we've had here as well. And, and this might just be semantics, but the the, the word expansion is is always something that, that really kind of um, a lot of folks are afraid of, or that the the reason why we can't do something. And and I guess what what we're trying to do, what Senator Messmer is trying to do, and what I am, I look at more as just it's a maturing of the industry. And uh, I, I know that we are kind of splitting hairs there, but. If, if we continued, if we had the same laws on the books that we did back in the 90s, um, these properties would, would not be as successful as they are today, Correct. even though they, they have, have fallen off a little bit in the last um, eight years or so. Uh, so we have to continue to make, make the, the atmosphere the, that they live in, that they do business in, the, the best possible for them to be successful. Yeah, Ellen's absolutely right, but, but uh, there's another element to this, and that, that's we that is that we have perpetuated a fiction with respect to expansion over the years and we've we've said that you know something that that people would perceive as expansion really isn't expansion because for example with French Lick we weren't creating a new license we were merely moving the license that had been authorized for Potoka Lake that everybody knew when it was passed would never get authorized or never get implemented anyway so that wasn't really a new license that was just moving something that existed we kind of justified the fact that we'd be adding, you know, 5,000 slot machines at the Racinos by saying that we're going to be getting rid of, of 25,000 gray market machines, you know, the, the Cherry Masters, for example, that were in, you know, truck stops and, uh, and laundromats and, and, Bars and taverns. halls and Legion halls. And then now you're even hearing, to a large extent, um, people saying that, that sports wagering is is justified because we're really not expanding. What we're doing is we're getting rid of the the illegal bookies that are out there, and we're we're regulating it and bringing it into a controlled environment, and we're taxing it. How many licenses are there in Indiana for riverboats? There, well, there are now eleven riverboat licenses, two Racino licenses, and then we have five OTB licenses total, I believe. Right, <clears throat> with only two currently three. being used. Three, three, yeah. three active. Okay. And how do you de- define riverboats now? Because they, they aren't really riverboats. <laughs> it's in the eye of the beholder now. Well, as Ed mentioned, one of, one of the one of the one of the great, I think, advances in Indiana policy was when we said you no longer have to go out and cruise. Um, they can be permanently moored dockside. Uh, they still have to maintain um, Coast Guard standards, um, the ability, quote unquote, to travel, but they are no longer required to. That one in French yeah, Lake isn't going anywhere. <laughs> they have to be. That's right. <laughs> Except for the one on French Lick. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. No, that's There's no correct. captain the down there. Remote, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, you, you were talking a little bit about Caesars, which to me it just seems so surprising because I think this behemoth. Mm-hmm. So h- how have they changed gaming, just a company like that in Indiana? So we're in a new era with that. Um, uh, we've always had and currently have a law on the books in Indiana that, that, that says you can only own two riverboat casino licenses. Um, that law did not prevent a, casi- a riverboat gaming operator from owning racino licenses as well. So Caesars um, purchased the then um, Centaur Gaming Properties in Anderson and Shelbyville uh, this summer, finalized the deal this summer, and, and closed with the Indiana Gaming Commission. So it puts us in a new situation in Indiana. Um, we see one operator uh, with a significant portion, more than half the uh, overall revenues generated from the state generate from those properties. Um, to their credit, uh, they bring incredible um, international amenities, they bring experience, they bring um, kind of international buying power to the benefit of, of, of our state. I think we've seen them to be great corporate citizens, uh, both in northern and southern Indiana, where they have historically operated, but also in the, in the communities that they've entered here in central Indiana. Um, there, w- there is an effort within Senator Mesmer's bill to eliminate that cap on ownership. And I think some policymakers are saying, if we're allowing Caesars to operate four properties, should we not allow others that same opportunity to compete at scale? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, have, one of the problems with okay. that, though, is, is that you, you can get potentially too big to fail, or you may have an undue influence by the 
by virtue of the size. But, you know, as Matt was, was saying, you know, Caesars also brought a lot of credibility to the, right. the table for Indiana, and that was helpful. You know, they are a company that could invest, you know, $400 million in Moscow or Macau or Las Vegas or anywhere in the, the world, and they chose... You know, back in 2004, 2005, to invest that $400 million in Hammond, Indiana. And a large part of that was because they were convinced that Indiana had a stable legislative and regulatory environment. Mm-hmm. We have just a couple minutes to go. Alan, I wanted you to talk again. So this is Alan Morrison, state representative for District 42, about your bill, where, where it is right now, what, what's the process for getting it uh, passed, if it gets passed, or if it gets folded into something else. Yeah, <clears throat> so... Uh, uh, we started committee hearings here about two weeks ago, so we're starting through that process, and and uh, I would I would uh, anticipate uh, it will be in in public policy within the next two weeks or so. That's uh, the committee. Right? That's public. the committee. That's correct, and and uh, um, Chairman Smoltz will uh, um, make the decision on on uh, you know when when that committee hearing is held and when the, the vote is and. And uh, hopefully, then everything goes well there, and and it will come out of there out of public policy, and then it will be recommitted to Ways and Means because of the tax uh, portion of it. And when we get into Ways and Means, there'll be uh, some more discussion, and and uh, we'll talk about some. Of, uh, for instance, I met with the, the auditor the other day, and it's not uh, of the state, and it's not because they they care about the policy of it, but we want to make sure that the mechanics of it, when when to, with the money coming back mm-hmm. in. That it that it is uh, you know properly um, put in the code. So um, after it gets through ways and means, and then we get onto the floor, and and uh, um, then we go from there. And second reading amendments, and and then uh, the third reading uh, vote. So I would say all that from from today will probably take a month and a half or so. And the process then starts over in the Senate. <laughs> yeah. Then everything that we did now goes right back uh, over to the Senate. And then if they change one. One part of of the the bill that passed third reading, um, then unless I uh, agree with it completely, then it will go to conference committee, and that then we have to agree on all the changes. So, all right, it's a complicated process. Yeah, but you know, tough things are. So yes, we, we right. are we are out of time. I want to thank our guests. We talked about uh, gaming in Indiana. There's a lot going on in the legislature this year, and we we I want to thank Matt Bell, the president and CEO of the Casino Association of Indiana. Alan Morrison, state representative for District 42, and Ed Feigenbaum, good to have you again, state house dispatch columnist with the Indiana Business Journal and publisher of Indiana Gaming Insight. For producer Patrick McGurr, engineer Mike Pashkash, and co-host Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.